seats. It is so good to be back with you. We are doing better. Um, most of you probably know Mary had COVID, and we're, we were we were just thankful for the people that blessed us here um, in the church. It is awesome when you are hurting and when you're feeling um, low on hope to be a part of the body of Christ is just a phenomenal thing to experience. The love that Jesus pours out into you through his people is just fantastic. I, I literally probably gained about five or seven pounds from the, all the desserts that showed up at our house. I almost had to have a really difficult conversation with my mother-in-law because she outsourced her apple pie to somebody else in the family for Thanksgiving. And they delivered food to us because we couldn't be there. And I was a little disappointed. But then a couple days went by and there was an apple pie on Chloe. Oh my goodness. She makes the best apple pie. Dean had, he smoked turkey and he brought turkey noodle soup for us which was fantastic i could go on and on all right so we get to talk about hope this morning we need hope we're in a climate that we need hope in this time here and as we head into 2022 and we find hope in the christmas story and so what we're doing in our hope has a name sermon series is we're looking at the narratives the birth narratives of jesus and we're looking at them through the lens of hope and so let's do that this morning. Luke 1, 26 through 38 is the scripture passage I'm going to read to you. This is just phenomenal. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying, considered what manner of greeting this was. Then the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Highest, and the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Then Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I do not know a man? And the angel answered and said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Highest will overshadow you. Therefore also that Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. And then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Quite remarkable story here. Here's the big idea that I want to communicate to you this morning. The Christmas story is a story of hope because it liberates us through both support and challenge. So let me help you understand this big idea by making this first point. God cares for the lowly. 
by the standards of Mary's time, Mary was low on the totem pole. There was nothing about her that was influential. There was nothing about her that was significant. She had a lot of strikes against her, and she knew it. If you would read past our passage, and if you would get to verse 48, you have Mary saying, as Sarah read earlier, God has regarded the lowly state of his maidservant. That's what Mary is saying in regards to her status. Mary was fully aware of her lack of value in that first century context. So what were the strikes that were against her? First of all, Mary was a woman. And as we mentioned last week, women at that time in first century Jewish culture um, didn't have much value. Their only value was connected to their ability to have children, specifically their ability to have a boy to provide an heir for their husband so that his name would carry on and so that his family would, or his land would stay in the family. Mary was young. Scholars believe that she was between 12 and 14 years old. Um, imagine that. Uh, you, you may be wondering how was Mary engaged to Joseph if she was only between 12 and 14 years old? Well, in that culture, the, a female was typically married at 12 and a half years of age. And so that's just the way it was then. Scholars believe that Mary was a poor farm girl because she was from the little old town of Nazareth, which probably had 200 to 500 people in it. This was a really obscure, small little town, so obscure that in the non-Christian sources, um, there's no mention, in the Roman non-Christian sources, there's no mention of Nazareth. It was a poor farming village known for its olive oil and its wine making. So she was probably a poor peasant girl. It's also believed that Mary was most likely plain looking. There's some art that makes her appear beautiful, but scholars have pointed out that poor farm girls weren't focused on their appearance. They were focused on working and surviving. And so she was probably plain looking. So what does this tell us about God? When we think about Mary's low status, what does this tell us about our God? He cares for the lowly. That's what it tells us. And this is good news of hope for us. Because if we're being honest here, let's face it, most of us in this room are quite average according to the world's standards, aren't we? We live in a small, insignificant town, Maslin, Ohio. We're in a small, little, insignificant church. Most of us are middle class or below in our, um, you know, in our money status. Most people in our county of Stark County, which is an insignificant county, most people don't know who you are. Last time I checked, nobody in this room is about to win the Nobel Prize. In a hundred years, probably only one or two people will even know that you existed. In 200 to 300 years, nobody will know that you even existed. Let's just be real. 
This is good news, the Christmas story is, because although we are all rather insignificant, God sees us as significant. He loves us. He has placed immense value on each of us. God cares for the lonely. Um, one thing that I really appreciate about this story is that it redefines what blessed is. You know, we think blessed is having wealth, having good, influ uh, good influence in the world, having good looks, having power, right? Well, Mary didn't have any of those things, and yet the story repeatedly tells us, if you were to continue on in, in chapter 1, that Mary was blessed. Why was she? In verse 42, she proclaims, from now all generations will call me blessed. Mary's story redefines what that is. Here's what it means to be blessed. It's not to be influential. It is not to be successful. It is not even to have a trouble-free life because Mary did not have a trouble-free life. It means this. <clears throat> to be blessed means, like Mary, to have favor with God and to be used by Him for His redemptive purposes in the world. That's what it means to be blessed. Which means... Any of you can be in that status, in that state. And that leads us to the second point. This is, God's favor is not earned, but rather bestowed. If God's favor was earned, we would all be out of luck. Because I just explained we're all insignificant. What are we going to be able to say before God of why you should bless me? We don't have even the things that the world says are important. And if God were to look at our moral performance, oh boy, we would never be able to earn God's favor. And we don't like this because in Northeast Ohio, we like to brag that the reason we have what we have is because everything is earned. Nothing is given, right? Have, who said that? LeBron James. We want to pridefully be able to say that the reason we are where we're at is because we did it. And so this idea that God's favor is bestowed and not earned, we have a hard time with it. But it is great news of hope. Because if God's favor was earned and if it was based on our financial status, many of us would have to get extra jobs and get working if God's favor of us was based on our, you know, uh, followers on Instagram, we would have to get hard at work. If God's influence was based on our good looks, you'd have to lay off clothes, apple pie, and get into the gym. Right? And this creates anxiety. Because i got to work frantically to somehow make myself approved in God's eyes. And when do I know that I've done enough? Ah, but God's favor, it is a gift bestowed on us. And the reason why it is a free gift is because that baby inside of Mary's womb that came out on that first Christmas day was the king of kings who did the unthinkable. Jesus willingly gave up his status, his wealth, his privileges as the unique son of God and earned God's favor through his perfect life 
and then died for the sins of the world so that sinful people like Mary, you, and me could experience God's favor, not on the basis of our work, but on the basis of Christ's work in our place. This is amazing news of hope for insignificant people like you and me. And this leads to the idea that we can relax. Hear that. Relax. 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 Jesus has already done everything for you to have favor with God and to be used by him for his redemptive purposes so that you can be blessed. This leads me to the third point that I want to make, and it is this. We no longer have to be ruled by fear. Fear is good um, when it is in a healthy kind of calibration in our life. You know, fear is good because it helps us to not play with fire, right, most of the time. It helps us not to run out in front of cars. Fear has its purpose. It can be helpful. It can work for us. Here's when fear doesn't work. Fear ceases to be our ally and becomes our enemy when we allow it to keep us from trusting God and walking in obedience to Him. Another way to put this is that fear is a wonderful servant but a terrible master. Mary could have easily let fear rule her. As Sarah said, here we have this girl between 12 and 14. Uh, an angel comes to her, which would have been terrifying in and of itself tells her that she's going to be pregnant, right? And not just with any old baby, but the king that her people had been waiting hundreds of years for, but not just any old human king, an eternal king that will have an eternal kingdom. Go. Can you imagine? I mean, I think about where I was at at 14 years of age. Can you imagine hearing that? No big deal, no pressure, nothing to be concerned about, right? Surely Mary had unanswered questions. What will Joseph think? Will he believe me? What will my family think? What will my community think? Do I really have what it takes to raise the Savior of the world? The one who human history hinges upon. 14. Where did Mary find courage? Where did Mary find hope to not let fear rule her? Look at Luke 1.38. When Gabriel uh, is talking to her, Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord, let it be to me according to your word. Where did she get courage to say this? Notice Gabriel's emphasis on God's provision and his presence. The very first thing that Gabriel said to Mary is what in verse 28? Rejoice, highly favored one. The Lord is with you. Blessed are you among women. Women. The Lord is with you. God's presence. Mary became troubled when Gabriel follow, you know, spoke uh, to her. And then the angel said to her, in verse 30, do not be afraid for you, Mary, have found favor with God. You have found favor with God. In other words, God is not just with you. He is for you. You are on his team. And if he is with you and for you, 
what can stand against you, Mary? Look, Mary, she responds with like, all right, I'm going to have this baby. You say this, Gabriel, but how can this be so since I don't know a man? What does Gabriel say? Luke 135, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest will overshadow you, overshadow you. Mary, God's going to provide. This is a promise of God's not only presence, but now his provision. And then, Mary, and then Gabriel gives Mary proof in verses 36 and 37. Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived the son in her old age. And this is now the sixth month for her who is called barren. For with God, nothing will be impossible. Where did Mary find faith? She found faith in the evidence before her. She found faith in evidence. If God was for her, who or what could stand against her? You know, the thing we typically fear the most is death, don't we? But with God, even death, he takes the sting out of it. Because death is no more than a transition into the loving embrace of Jesus our Lord. Mary's hope was based in God's presence and provision. Now, we learn something about the nature of biblical hope. Biblical hope is not wishful thinking. Check this out. This is my definition. Um, it's long, and hopefully I won't make it confusing. Biblical hope is the confident expectation of future deliverance based on faith, which is trustful reliance on God rooted in evidence. If hope is not grounded in faith, it is wishful thinking. And if faith is not placed in a trustworthy person, a reliable person, at best it's useless, at worst it's dangerously harmful. How do you know if a person is trustworthy? How do you know if a person is reliable? Worthy of your faith. You look at the evidence. I had my appendix taken out a year ago, right? I uh, put my life in the hands of a guy who I only had a conversation with for literally maybe a minute and a half, right? Comes into my room, tells me a little bit about what he's going to do. 30 minutes later, I'm in the operating room. They're putting the anesthesia in me, and then I'm out, right? Why could I put my life in this man's hands. I looked at the evidence. The nurse I was talking to said he was low on personality, but a great surgeon. <laughs> I'll take great surgeon over great personality, low as a surgeon, right? Um, I was at a trustworthy hospital. Um, I mean, he looked like a doctor. I guess he didn't come in like in sweatpants and a sweatshirt, which is, you know, good. But did, were all my questions answered? By no means. There were so many questions. Was this his fifth surgery or his 300th? Has he ever been sued for malpractice? Um, what is his character like? I have no idea. No idea. But I had enough evidence to make the leap of faith. I had enough evidence to put my trust in him. Mary's trust in God was based on evidence. She knew the promises regarding this promised Messiah. We know that from the verses Sarah read. If you look at verse 55 of Luke 1, verse 50 shows us that Mary had respect, relationship with the Lord. Surely this was not the first time that he has operated in her life. 
Mary had the evidence that she gained based on what Gabriel told her about Elizabeth. Mary would have known that Elizabeth was barren. Mary had evidence. Charles Spurgeon said this, Faith is not a blind thing, for faith begins with knowledge. It is not a speculative thing, for faith believes facts of which it is sure. It is not an unpractical, dreamy thing, for faith trusts and stakes its destiny upon the truth of revelation. Mary was able to stake her destiny, that is, her future, even though she would have had a thousand unanswered questions, tons of uncertainty. She was able to do, stake her destiny on God based on the truth of the revelation that she had received. Her faith was in the goodness and the greatness of God, and that's what led to her obedience. Now, was there times when Mary felt uncertain about her faith? I am sure. I am sure. I mean, think about, all right, so Mary, all right, she says, here I am, Lord, basically. It's this prayer of surrender. And then she has to make a 90-mile journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem when she's, like, fully pregnant. Walking on a donkey, could there be some questions of like, God, what are you doing? Yeah. And then she gets to Bethlehem and there's no place for her to have this baby. So she has to go into a nasty animal shelter to have this Messiah. Oh, God, what are you doing? And then Jesus is born and not too long after he's born, they have to go to Egypt because crazy King Herod is looking to kill Jesus. God, what are you doing? This doesn't make sense. I would not write the story this way. Right? But yet, whatever fear she had, she was not ruled by it. She continued to walk in obedience because she had enough evidence to put her life into the great God's hands. And so, let me wrap it up this way. Oh, God, I have to read this quote. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity. And the point that I have there, or I think it might be up, let's go to the next slide. This is so important. Feelings of certainty regarding our faith have a way of fluctuating. So, you're not always going to just be like super confident in your walk with Jesus. There are going to be times where you're going to be freaking out. And that's normal. No, it's normal. Check this out. C.S. Lewis in his book, Mere Christianity. Now, faith in the sense which I am here using the word is the art of holding on to things your reason has once accepted in spite of your changing moods. Lewis goes on to say, for moods will change whatever view your reason takes. I know that by experience. Now that I am a Christian, I do have moods in which the whole thing, check this out, looks very improbable. But when I was an atheist, I had moods in which Christianity looked terribly probable. This rebellion of your moods against your real self is going to come anyway. No matter what worldview you subscribe to. 
That is why faith is such a necessary virtue. Unless you teach your moods where they get off, you can never be either a sound Christian or even a sound atheist, but just a creature dithering to and fro with its beliefs really dependent on the weather and the state of its digestion. Consequently, one must train the habit of faith. And so we can add one more definition to our definition of hope. Biblical hope is the confident expectation of future deliverance based on faith, which is trustful reliance on God, rooted in evidence, and not fluctuating feelings. Important. All right, so I said I was wrapping it up. I did the critical error of any speaker. Say you're wrapping it up and you're not wrapping it up. I am being truthful this time. The big idea... The Christmas story is a story of hope because it liberates us through support and challenge. What is the support we see in this story? God loves the lowly like you and me. He cares about them, right? Um, What else? He came in the person of Jesus to make a way for us to find favor in his eyes that is not based on our own work. That's support that's encouragement. That, is, that liberates us. What is the challenge of the Christmas story? Here's the challenge. You are so broken and messed up that it took the Son of God to come be a human being and die a horrible death so that you could be forgiven, redeemed, and put back together again. And so it destroys our pride. What's more, the challenge of Christmas is, will you, like Mary, walk in obedience to the great God for his redemptive purposes despite, in spite of any fear? And so for some of you, this Christmas season, God is calling you to step out into the great unknown, and he's calling you to forgive someone that you've been harboring anger towards this Christmas season. Some of you, he's calling you to love an enemy. For some of you, he's calling you to quit your job and to do something you're passionate about. For some of you, he's calling you to start tithing to church or giving generously to organizations that are all about Jesus' mission in the world. For some of you, he's calling you to start seeing a counselor. You've been dragging your feet on it. For some of you, he's calling you to disciple another person. Perhaps some of you, he's calling you to share your hope in Christ with somebody this Christmas season. There's somebody in your life that needs to know, needs to know. Perhaps God is calling you this Christmas season to take your mask off and actually be vulnerable with other people. Let them in. Let them see your pain, your hurts, your fears, your worries, your anxiety, your failures. Perhaps some of you, God is wanting to dismantle your pride and you need to ask for help. Where God guides, he provides. And that's where we ultimately thrive. This is the hope we need this Christmas. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we are so grateful for you, Emmanuel. Thank you that you have come to be with us. And that you're not just with us, you are for us. 
and that we have the promise of not only your presence and your provision, thank you for doing everything so that we can be in the state of favor with you, God, so that we can enjoy an intimate relationship with you, so that we can have power from on high to walk in obedience, even in spite of all of our unanswered questions, uncertainty, and fear. May we be informed by fear, but not ruled by it, Jesus. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen.